Well, let's pray. Ask God to meet us in the scriptures this morning. What an amazing book you've given to us in Philippians, Father. We love you for the gift of the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this morning, we're talking about grumbling and disputing, Lord. We all struggle with that. I do, and we all do. And thank you that you have good news for us in this passage. And so I pray that you should work in me and in all of us, and that you would uh, conform us into Christ's image in this area. Lord, help me to be clear, help my mind to be clear so I can explain things well, and give me the heart you want me to have, Lord, um, as we open up your word together. And so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 2 today, verses 14 through 18. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, we'd love to bring one to you so that you can have the passage open in front of you. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and that's uh, in the Bibles we're passing out, that's on page 981. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you an overview of kind of Paul's train of thought that he's been developing through the book of Philippians up to this point. And what he's going to do in this book is he's going to call his readers to some obedience that is going to be difficult. And so, at the very beginning, after giving a greeting in verses 1 and 2, from verses 3 through 11, he describes how he's been thanking God for them and how he prays for them. And if you read through that, not only is it important that they hear how he's been thanking God and praying for them, but the theme, the theological theme through there is that just as God has enabled you to obey in the past, so now when I call you to do something difficult, God is going to enable you to obey with this one too. So that's the point of verses 3 through 11. Then, in verses 12 through 26, Paul describes how God has enabled him to obey in the very two areas that Paul is going to be calling them to take steps of obedience in. So Paul describes how he's been enabled by God to live in loving, humble unity with some brothers who were seeking to hurt him. And he describes how God has enabled him to be bold and fearless in continuing to preach the gospel even at the threat of of losing his life. But again, the point of that example is to again say, this is how God has enabled me to obey, so he will enable you also to obey in these areas. Then in verses 27 through 30, and in chapter 2, 1 through 4, he gives the two commands. So he's leading this up. Now now he finally brings the commands he wants to urge them. Here's Here's what you should be doing now. 27 through 30, don't be frightened of persecution. And chapter 2, 1 through 4, live in humble and loving unity with each other. Then, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, powerful passage which David read this morning. He gives Jesus Christ as an example of costly obedience, difficult obedience. As an example, look at how faithful God was to him. He obeyed in costly ways. God exalted him. God will enable you to obey. God will bless you as you obey. And then that brings us to chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Paul says we should follow Jesus' example and obey him. And then verse 13, because God will work in you and enable you to do it. And that brings us to 14 through 18. And look at what he says in this next paragraph. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, 
among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Okay, verse 14, Paul starts off saying, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, what do those words mean? Okay, grumbling means to complain about something that could be to yourself, could be to God, could be to other people, but you're, you're complaining about something with anger and with frustration and with bitterness. That's grumbling. Okay, so let's say that maybe there's somebody in your home group who regularly dominates the sharing time so that nobody else has a chance to get a word in edgewise. It'd be easy to respond to that by grumbling. You know, really? I mean, I can't believe he's doing this again. You can be grumbling to yourself. You're grumbling to other people. Look, he's doing it again, you know. So that's grumbling, where you're complaining about something uh, with some anger, some bitterness, some frustration. Now, disputing is when things get taken to a little bit of a, of a, of a more increased level. It's where you're quarreling or arguing or fighting with somebody. Okay, so back to that person in the home group who dominates the conversation. You might find yourself getting so upset about this person that you you take him aside privately and just blow up at him afterwards and accuse him of being selfish, accuse him of always wanting the limelight, something like that. So that'd be disputing. So grumbling and disputing, that's what those mean. Now with that in mind, read verse 14 again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Not just some things without grumbling or disputing, but but all things. That is, followers of Jesus Christ are called by Jesus Christ through this passage, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus Christ are called to never grumble or dispute. Jesus Christ is speaking to each of us through these words. Never grumble. Never dispute. Are you feeling the weight of this? This is a difficult command. Are you feeling it? If not, let's get a re- little bit of a reality check here. Okay, this is a very difficult command. We all, it's in our culture, it's in the air we breathe, grumbling and disputing. It's just like, it's what you do. Okay, let's get some specific examples. Let's say that uh, tomorrow morning, the commute is worse than usual. It's always bad, but let's say it's even worse than usual, and it takes you twice as long to get to work. Now, it would be very easy When you walk into work, it's taking you twice as long. What would it be very easy to do? Grumble about it. I can't believe this traffic. I mean, so that's, you're you're complaining about something with anger and frustration and bitterness. But see, Paul says, do all things without grumbling. And that doesn't mean you can't say anything about the traffic. Okay, like if you're late for a meeting because of it, you could apologize and say, you know, the traffic was it's even worse than usual today. Well, that's not grumbling. Okay, so you, it doesn't mean you can ever talk about it. But it's the heart issues that, that are at stake here. It's the heart of frustration, of bitterness, of anger that's coming out then, either in terms of how you talk to yourself about it or talk to other people or even talk to, to God about it. That's grumbling. Another example, let's say that after getting your kid's breakfast tomorrow morning, uh, a friend calls on the phone, so you step out into the other room and you're talking with them on the phone for a few minutes, and when you get off the phone, you walk back in, and the pancakes and the maple syrup, 
and the powdered sugar is being thrown back and forth between your kids. They're having the time of their lives with this major food fight going on there. Now, be very easy to grumble, to dispute, to blow up at them. That would be a, be a disputing. Um, but Paul would say, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I'm, I want to give you these examples so you can feel, oh yeah, this would be hard. Okay, are you feeling that yet? This would be hard to do. Now, again, not that you could never talk about what your kids did that morning. It'd be a great story to tell down the road some other time. But it's not something that's being talked about with anger, with bitterness, with frustration, with complaining. So Paul is calling us to do all things without grumbling or disputing. But he also tells us why this is so important in this passage. I love how the scriptures don't just give command, command, command. All this other helpful, empowering truth. And so why is it crucial that we stop grumbling and disputing? That's the point of verse 15. Look at verses 14 and 15 together to get the flow of thought. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay, one reason we should be free from grumbling and disputing is that when we do that, we will be seen in the world as blameless and as innocent children of God. We will be seen as, as like we're lights shining in a dark world. I mean, think about it. If this room was pitch black, okay, and all of a sudden I turned a flashlight on, you would all see it immediately. That's what happens when you walk through this world without grumbling or disputing. Now, Why? Well, it's because ever since Adam and Eve sinned thousands and thousands of years ago, this world has been filled with the darkness of sin. The darkness of sin has covered this world, and in particular, the darkness of the sin of grumbling and disputing. It's just everywhere. But see, God has a plan to save people. So here's this dark world, totally covered, part of the darkness of grumbling and disputing and other sins, but God has a plan of saving people, and so he saved you, and he saved me. Through faith in Jesus Christ, all of our sins forgiven. We're adopted into God's family. We're no longer orphans trying to fend for ourselves in this cruel and bitter world. Now we have God as our Father. Sovereign God in control of every detail of our lives. Loving Father. And He promises that He will ordain and orchestrate every detail of our lives in such a way that it will bring us even more joy in knowing Him. So he's in total control of everything. This is who our God is. We are children of God. And so because we have God as our Father, we don't ever need to grumble or dispute. Because everything that happens, God promises, I will ordain everything to bring you the great good of knowing me even more deeply, even more closely. I promise. And so when we see that God is our Father, when we trust Him as our Father, we won't ever need to grumble or dispute because He's in sovereign and loving control over, over everything. But now everybody else out there who's not trusting Christ, they're cut off from God because of their sin, tragically. And so they are like orphans fending for themselves in this cruel and bitter world. And so you can hardly blame them for grumbling and disputing because they're just they're on their own. 
And so God's plan is that as we walk through this world, which is full of grumbling and disputing, and as we don't grumble, and as we don't dispute, we will be shining like lights in a dark world. Everybody will notice. We'll be like big billboards, okay, wherever we go, saying there is a sovereign, loving God who you can be reconciled to through Jesus Christ and you can trust him for everything and you'll never need to grumble or dispute again. Okay, big billboards wherever you go. Because you've had, everybody knows about the traffic and you walk in and, and you say, how, how you guys doing? Oh man, did you get the traffic? Yeah, the, yeah the, the traffic, you know, but you know, God's good. I mean, I was able to worship a little, little longer coming in, or I don't know what you'd say. God would give you something to say, but when you're not grumbling, it just shines with light in the midst of darkness. Or if there's somebody in your work project who's slacking, and they take all the credit for your work, and everybody's waiting for you to like totally blow up at them, and you may talk with them, okay, but, but it would be gracious and it would be humble and it would be gentle and you wouldn't be disputing with them. And that gentleness and that graciousness and that love is going to shine like light. And when they see you then so full of love, so full of peace and joy in trusting your loving, sovereign Father, then they will see that God's real. They will see by your demeanor and by your actions, that there is a God who loves us and God will draw them to him. So that's that's the reason that we should do that. But now, see, that's only going to happen then if we don't grumble or dispute. So back to how hard this is, okay? Because there are long lines at Costco, right? And some of those checkers can feel really slow sometimes, all right? And there's people who drive really slow in the fast lane, Right? Road bowlers, there they are. You're, you, you want to get ahead and they're just like, just enjoying the scenery or something. All right? and, and we can be disappointed by friends, spouses, home group members. Our kids can do wrong things and can hurt us and can be unresponsive to our counsel and our teaching. And there's lots of things that can cause grumbling and there's lots of things that can cause disputes. So it's not easy to do this. This is what we're called to do. You're a billboard, okay? But you can have the light on so the billboard can be seen. This is what your purpose is here, is to show people who God is by the fact that you're not grumbling or disputing. So if it's that hard to do, how can we do it? How is it possible? I love how Paul tells us right here in verse 16. It's the beginning of verse 16. Let's read verses 14, 15, and the beginning of 16, though, so you can just get the, the flow of thought, the power of what he's saying here. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So we do that by, is the point of verse 16, the beginning, it's by holding fast to the word of life. If you will hold fast to the word of life, that's the message of this book, if you will hold fast to it, you will not grumble. You will not dispute. Okay, so get your Bibles out there. Okay? Okay? Do you have Bibles? Okay, good. We, 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 this is the Bible, church. Okay, this is very important to learn. Thank you. Well, we got phones or whatever, and you know your Bible's on it. We know. So you're holding fast to the word of life. And when you hold fast to the word of life, your heart will be changed. So you will not grumble or dispute. 
This is so important. Because too many Christians get the idea that, okay, I've just got to have really a super huge amount of willpower not to grumble because I am so ticked. Don't, don't grumble. Is that light shining? <laughs> I'm not seeing any light there. Everybody knows it's like your teeth are gritted so hard, your muscles are going to go bing or something. But okay, that's not how it works. If you hold fast the word of life, the Holy Spirit will come and change your heart so you won't feel like grumbling or disputing. How does that work? Okay, the word of life is the word of life. It tells us where life is to be found. And all through the Bible we read where life is to be found. And one perfect example is chapter 1, verse 21 of Philippians. Okay, every book of the Bible tells us where life is to be found. The answers are all the same. But look at, remember chapter 1, verse 21? Paul says, for to me, to live is what? It's Christ. To live is Christ. Okay, the life you were created to live is found only, and it is found fully, in Christ. Okay, you want life. You want meaning, you want purpose, you want excitement, you want beauty, you want pleasure, you want joy, you want life. And this is the word of life. This tells us where we find life, and life is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is a real person who you can know and love and talk with. He's a real personal being who you can fellowship with and worship and trust. And when you turn to Jesus Christ and you put your trust in him, he becomes your savior, forgives all your sins through his death on the cross. He becomes your heart changer. His power comes and your heart starts to change. He becomes your comfort. He becomes your strength. He's your guide. He's your refuge. He's your power. He's your hope. He's your future. Jesus Christ is a real personal being who you can know and love and trust and worship and fellowship with. Do you know him? Do you know him as your life? This is so crucial. It's so dangerous that, that people can come to church and leave and come to church and leave and they, they hear all these things, but they, for some reason, I think maybe Satan blinds them, but... Jesus is a real living being who you can know and love and worship and walk with and fellowship with and pour your heart out to. And he will, he's there. He's real. And when you come to him and ask him to help you and ask him to fill you, the life that he will give as you worship him, as you glorify him, as you trust him, like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Now, what does that have to do with Grumbling. Okay, well, let's go back to your home group. And uh, let's say you've had a really rough day, the day of home group. I mean, a really brutal day at work or with your kids or friends. Something, something very difficult has happened. And, and let's say you are seeking your life in the sympathy that you're going to be receiving from your home group when you tell them your difficult day. Okay, We love home groups, and we want you all to share your struggles with your home group. But again, the reason that we do that is so they can point you to Christ, who will be your life in that situation, not so that you'll get, you're seeking your life from their sympathy and support. 
Get the difference? Very important, okay? But let's say that in this case, you're just, it's going to be so good to have them be commiserating with me. And, and you're just like the comfort that's going to come. This is going to be awesome, okay? So, so you're there and you're sitting down. You can't wait for the sharing time to start. And then there he goes again. The same guy, you know? And what's he talking about this time? It's like, ah, you can't believe it. And you're, you're, you're talking to yourself, I can't, this is just, I mean, really? Really? This is my night to share something? And here he's talking about just nothing. Okay, now, that's called grumbling. Okay, that's grumbling. And again, the reason you're grumbling, do you see why? It's because you're seeking your life in something other than Christ. The reason you're grumbling, the reason you may take him aside afterwards and chew him out, is because you're, you're seeking your life in something other than Christ. Because if through that day, difficulties and, and, and heartbreaking situations, but if, if you've been seeking Christ as your life through that day, Jesus, help me. This is very hard. Strengthen me. Help me to trust you. I'm feeling very weak right now. Meet me. Encourage me. Help me. So you're, you're, you're walking with Christ through that day. You're seeking your life in him. See, then when you'd go to that home group, you still might want to share with them, because that's what we do. We share with each other what's going on. Okay, but you're not seeking your life in that. You've got life. You've got life in the Lord. And so if that brother starts to talk too much, you're not going to be grumbling. You're not going to be disputing because you're seeking your life in the Lord. You're, you're holding to the word of life. So the way that we don't grumble and dispute is by holding to the word of life. See that works? So every time, just jot this down or get this in, in your mind. This is so important. This is so helpful for me to think about this week. Every time I grumble about a flat tire, or every time I grumble about, I mean, somebody disappointing me, every time I dispute with somebody about something out of anger and frustration, bitterness, I mean, every time we grumble, every time we dispute, it's because we're not holding to the word of life at that moment. You're not. You're not. We like to be honest here at Mercy Hill Church. Okay? So whenever you grumble, you're not holding to the word of life. You're, you're, you're trying to hold to something else. Okay? Now, we want to be really clear about that because the solution will be to hold the word of life. There's an answer. There's a heart-changing answer that the Lord has for you. And So I would encourage us as a church, let this, let's, let's let this be a reminder. Do you have a rhythm in your life of starting off your day holding to the word of life? Do you have a rhythm in your life where you start the day opening up the scriptures and, and the scriptures all display Christ to you? And where you pray the life of Christ into your soul. Do you, do you do that on a regular basis? Do you have a rhythm in your life where you start off the most important part of your day? You're my life. I'm here. I want life. This is what life's about. Help me. Beat me. Come. How are you doing in your rhythm of meeting the Lord and receiving life from him in the word on a regular basis? Is that happening for you? Or have you slipped into just having it become routine, which is so easy to do? I fight it all the time. I'm a pastor. Okay, we're supposed to do this, right? It's easy to fall into routine. You fall into it too. But do you have a rhythm? And then, and then do you have a, a rhythm where throughout the day, as trials come, you're, you're in the Lord about these. Oh, Jesus, help me. This is hard. I'm not sure I can bear anymore. Help me. Meet me. And then you think of a verse like Psalm 50, 15. 
where God says, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will rescue you and you will honor me. And so, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for that promise. Rescue me, help me, comfort me, meet me here. So do you have a rhythm where throughout the day you are holding to the word of life? That is the only way you'll be able to not grumble and dispute. It's the only way. The only way. Is there any other way? No. This is the only way. And there is a way. It's by holding fast to the word of life. So important. So think about this. How many of you, don't raise your hand, grumble about something on the way here this morning in the car? Okay, don't, don't raise your hand, but just I want you to think. Okay, I want this to get real tangible and real specific in terms of your life. Okay? So understand this. If you were grumbling about something this morning, maybe it's about what the kids did before you left or, you, you know, some other person in your car is never on time or, you know, whatever it might have been, all right? If you were grumbling about something this morning, you weren't holding on to the word of life. You were trying to grab onto something else, Okay? So we've got to get really real about this. We all struggle with this every day. But see, here's the beautiful news. What do you do at that point? Jesus stands before you at that point. He is your life. He will be your forgiveness. And so even though you're, you're, you're grumbling and you're like, oh, he says, come just as you are. Come to me just as you are. I will forgive you. I will change your heart. I will fill you. I will bring life to you. I will do that. And so, so even when you're right there in the midst of grumbling and the sin because you've been, been like getting to church on time, you're seeking your life in that, not looking bad in front of other people or whatever it might have been, Jesus, forgive me. Through the cross, wash me clean. Change my heart. I'm looking for life in something else. Forgive me. Help me. And he will. He will forgive you. He will help you. And once again, you'll be holding to the word of life. No grumbling, no disputing. Do you see how that works? So the way we do this is by holding to the word of life. You hold the word of life when you've been holding the word of life, and you hold the word of life when you haven't been holding the word of life. We're just always reaching out and grabbing out of the hold to the, to the word of life. You've sinned really bad today. What do you do? Hold the word of life. Okay? You've had a pretty good day, doing pretty well. What do you do? Hold on to the word of life. Okay, everything's going great. What do you do? Hold on to the word of life. Everything's going terrible. What do you do? Hold on to the word of life. This is what we do all the time. We hold on to the word of life. We hold on to it. Okay? But Paul has something more he wants to say about this topic. And he gives another reason why we should do this. This is so interesting. This is the verses 16 through 18 are the are verses that we could easily just gloss over in our readings. Like I'm, not, I'm not really sure what he's saying there, but let's keep going until I find something else that I can figure out what, he, what he's saying. But this is important. Why else should we not grumble or dispute? Look at all of verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If his readers would have been going through life grumbling and disputing and not holding to the word of life, then Paul would have run in vain, labor in vain in terms of their spiritual well-being. Okay, But if they do hold fast to the word of life and grow in not grumbling, growing, growing not disputing with other people, then when Christ returns, Paul's going to have a Christ-centered pride and joy in them. 
So picture like this. Here's Paul, and here's the, these Philippian believers, and Jesus comes back, and they are going to be just shining with Jesus' glory because they've been holding to the word of life, haven't been grumbling, haven't been disputing. They've been billboards wherever they've gone. People have come to faith, and Christ has been magnified through their lives. So they will be just there shining with Christ's glory, and Paul will see them shining with Christ's glory. He will see Jesus shining with Christ's glory, them reflecting Christ's glory, and it's going to be beautiful, and he will have this Christ-centered pride and joy because God, by his grace, has used Paul to help them glorify Christ, who Paul loves. And so Paul says, do this, because I'm going to be really happy when Jesus comes back if you do. That's his reason. Have you ever thought about that before? Do this. I've been, I've been pouring my life out for you. I, I love Jesus. I love you. Follow Jesus in this because then I will have a Christ-centered pride and joy when Jesus returns. So I want you to, to think about this in terms of people in your life who've poured into you spiritually. Think about those who've poured their lives into you. They've prayed for you. They've shared the scriptures with you. They've spent time listening to you. They've counseled you when things have been difficult. They've encouraged you. They've maybe spoken some some. Uh, hard, loving, gentle, but hard words to you when, when needed. Dear friends who do that, we love those friends who do that. But think about people who've poured their lives into you. So this is a reason Paul wants you to be thinking about. Hold fast to the word of life so you don't grumble and dispute because those who've poured their lives into you will have even more joy in Christ on that final day because of the way you've glorified Christ in your life. So Paul's saying, So they will have even more joy. Christ will be magnified and you'll have even more joy in seeing them glorifying Christ. So think about those. Can you think of somebody who's who's poured their life into you spiritually? Your fervency in following Christ will so magnify Christ on that final day that they will have even more joy as they see the way Christ is magnified in your life on that day. But Paul says one other thing. He, He wants them to understand how great his joy will be on that day. How great will it be? It'll be so great that even if Paul dies as a martyr for the gospel, Paul will say, it's all worth it. That's the point of verse 17. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoiced with you all. So Paul wants them to to get this. And part of the reason Paul wants them to get this is that A theme we've seen so far is Paul's encouraging them, don't fear martyrdom, don't fear persecution, don't fear death. So he's weaving that theme in here too. He's saying, let me tell you how much joy it's going to be for me to see Christ when he returns. It's going to be so much joy that even if I am killed in the process of this, I'm good with that because of how glorious Christ is. But he doesn't stop there. Notice the end of verse 17. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And then verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, the same will be true for you. When you see Jesus Christ, no matter what the costs you've incurred, no matter what the persecution, no matter what suffering you've experienced as you've been bold in telling people about Jesus Christ, you will say, you're worth it all. You're worth it all. Paul, to be killed, Paul will say it's worth it all. You all should say the same thing because you will when you see him. 
because of his glory and his majesty and his beauty and his wonder. This is who Jesus Christ is. So, the more you hold fast to the word of life, and as a result, don't grumble and dispute this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this week, the more you do that, the more Christ will be glorified in your life when he returns. And the more Christ is glorified in your life when he returns, the more those who have poured into you will rejoice on that day. And the more you will rejoice on that day. Let me say it again. The more you hold fast to the word of life, and as a result, don't grumble or dispute, the more, when Christ returns, the more he will be glorified in you when he returns. And so those who've poured into you will have even more joy as they see Christ glorified in you. And you will have even more joy as you see Christ glorified in you. So, let me put it this way. Our salvation is secured through Jesus' death on the cross. He died. He purchased faith, repentance, perseverance. It is a done deal. If you're trusting Jesus right now, remember last week we talked about the rope bridge across that 10,000 foot deep canyon and he, the good work he started, he will continue. It is secured. It is a done deal. But Paul also says, and many other passages also say, that the way we live now will affect the joy that we will have in Christ forever. The way we live now will affect the joy we have in Christ forever. So, hold the word of life so that the life of Jesus fills your heart so that you're able not to grumble and not to dispute because as you live that way, you will display Christ's glory even more than if you wouldn't have and you will have more joy in Jesus Christ forever. And how important is that? Nothing's more important. Okay, so what questions does this raise? Am I, am I tracking with the passage? Am I following Paul's train of thought here? Uh, questions about the interpretation of the passage or questions about how to live this out? We're just all brothers and sisters here. We've got the word of life. We're studying it together, so we welcome questions. Yes, sir, David. I just have a couple verses that I remember. That There's a mic for you. Is, uh, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. Word, I, I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Beautiful. Another way of saying the word of life, right? And that'll change our hearts. Good. Thanks, Dave. Other comments or questions? Rick. Thanks, Steve. Uh, is it okay to grumble privately with the Lord? That's a great question. Bring it all, bring it honestly, and say, Lord, I am grumbling about this, I'm upset about this. So that... Such a good question. Let's let's get some feedback from the people. What do you think about that? How about grumbling before the Lord? Just privately. Yeah, privately. Mike. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking we're walking up to the God of all the universe. Do I really want to grumble? You know, hi, how are you doing? It's like, oh, uh, it, it just doesn't seem right. I don't know. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's get some more thoughts here. Marsha, Marsha's looking troubled. <laughs> I was, because I think we bring our 
troubles to him, and if we find that we are grumbling, then we ask him to help us with that. Mm. In a sense, acknowledging, I know it's sin to grumble, and I don't usually think I'm sinning when I grumble to God, so I guess I'll have to consider that more. <laughs> okay, well, I was, okay, Scott, go ahead. Right behind you. Yes. He's saying, God, I'm, you know, I'm in a place here that I'm, I'm desperate, I'm, I'm angry, I'm upset, and, and I think God wants us to come to Him in the state that we're in, and, and then we, 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 we get that nourishment from Him and that, that uh, changing of our heart. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's keep on the same topic here. Is it on the same topic, Josie? Okay. Can you help us with knowing? Oh, is there a line between? Where is the line? Okay, because I, I noticed Rick said something very helpful, and that is to come to God and to say, I'm grumbling about this, is absolutely crucial. Okay, because he knows anyway, and it, and it, it does something for our fellowship with him to just to, to let it be real. Um, but, but to say to God, I'm, I'm struggling with this, I'm grumbling. I'm I'm angry about this. That seems to me, and see if you guys agree, that seems different than grumbling against God. And maybe that's what's, what Michael says, we shouldn't do that towards God, and I think you would agree with that. But there is, we also don't want to think, well, I'm grumbling, so I can't come talk to God now. Okay, so if I'm grumbling and angry, what I should do is come to God and say, Look at me. I'm sorry. I'm 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 angry about this. This is so frustrating to me. Why are you doing this? And and like is Psalm 22? I mean, is that? I'm not sure that I would say that that's grumbling against God. But it is. It is why. Why, Father? You say you're loving. Is this loving? Is that grumbling? To to pray that way. I don't think so. I, mean, I think we can get a feel for it, but now exactly where the line is, I'm not sure I can put that into words, but back here, Steve, you got something? Yes, I think there's two parts of it. I think one is a very legitimate uh, venting to God. In other words, saying, why? You know, that I, that these are my feelings. We pour these out, and I think the Psalms is, are good examples yes. of that. But there's always a second part. If you want to read the end of the Psalms, it's turning to God and saying, God, how do I work through this? Good. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. And there was another hand up over here. Paul. Okay. Give, can you give him the mic? Thanks, Steve. Okay. Are we blaming God, or are we just being truthful about how we feel about it? Yeah. So I 
I think God wants us to be truthful about how we feel about this. Okay, okay. But we're not grumbling about him. Okay, good. Josie's got more on that? Okay. All right. Thanks, Natasha. Go ahead, Josie. That's helpful. That's helpful. Those are good distinctions. Thank you. Natasha. So I have a great example um, to back up my point. It'll be really quick, but my two sons, twins, we gave them the opportunity to earn an iPod. One of them did what was expected of him, and the other one did not, did not finish the deal and did not get an iPod. And so it would be very easy for the one who didn't earn an iPod to grumble and complain. In fact, he grumbles and complains every time his brother gets to play his iPod. Mm. And here's where the, I draw the line. So my son feels entitled to the iPod, but yet he did not do his part of the deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so it is sin for him to grumble and complain. And I find that with God, um, he's a father as well to us. And so... Um, if we feel entitled to this thing that we have that we have that we don't have, or maybe we feel entitled to not suffer, mm-hmm. we grumble and complain from a place of sin. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we let go of that entitlement and humble ourselves, God is more than willing to hear our complaining, uh, quote unquote, right? relationships with their own earthly father mm. and who's never entered into that intimate relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. really intimately knowing him as a father, mm-hmm. or as God as father, mm-hmm. I think it's very hard to grasp mm. why he would want to hear your complaining, mm-hmm. why he would want to hear your, your grumbling. But again, if it comes from that place of entitlement, that to me is the line. Yeah, it's helpful. I've heard people say, you know, it's okay to be angry with God because he can certainly handle it. And that's not the issue. God can handle anything, okay? But if you're angry against God, then then if when we are angry against God, we should come to him and say, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling angry against you, and I'm so sorry. This is wrong, but I am. Help me. Help me. Um, because it is wrong to be angry against God. The God of all the earth always does right. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. If you're angry at him, you're wrong. You're not seeing it. Okay, and, and I, I mean, we all are there oftentimes, right? But it's important to say, okay, God, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing you. I'm not seeing your faithfulness. I'm clinging too closely probably to wanting my life in this area of comfort or lack of suffering or whatever it might be. So some other life I'm clinging to. But, but whatever, the point is, bring it all to God. I'm feeling angry now. Help me. So is this helping you, Rick? Because we're all there, man. Honest with my heart with the Lord, that's when he washes away. Ooh. The world and the crud and the yes. Love comes back in. 
Ooh. Say that again. We need to get a mic on that. That was really good. What what happens when you're real before God again? Yeah. That's when he comes in and washes away the crud. Yes. Yes. Amen. Right on. So I think some of you really need to hear that. I just think since it's in the Holy Spirit right now, because some of you have never experienced that. You don't know what Rick's talking about. And it may be because just over the years you've built up walls of resentment between you and, and the Father, and uh, or what, whatever reasons there might be, but you haven't understood that you can come to God and just be absolutely real with Him about what you're struggling with. Not being, not, again, you're telling him what's, what's real because that's when he washes the crud away. And oh, I just, I long for all of you to experience that. If you've not experienced that, do. Jesus is standing before you. He's inviting you to come. Okay, Scott, tell us more. Tell us. Hmm. Yeah. So they are like crimson. They will become like wool. Yep. He wants us to come to him. Yes. Yes. Totally. Beautiful. Thank you. Isaiah one eighteen. Thanks, Scott. Okay. So I just want to encourage us all. Let's let's do that because that's what it means to hold fast to the word of life, right? That's how you hold fast to the word of life. Just what you were describing. Right? We talk about how we're not. Help me not. And that may mean we're angry against God, we're bitter against God, but, but that's because we're not holding the word of life. So we come and we say, help me, forgive me, wash me. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated about this, I'm angry about this, I'm not seeing you, I'm not trusting you, I'm a wreck. And your, your mercy and grace through the cross, I need you. And he will come and he will wash you clean. And he will renew you. Mm. Okay, let's, let's all stand. I want to pray this over us. What a Savior you are, Lord Jesus. That we can come to you when we are grumbling and disputing, even if it's grumbling and disputing against you. And if we will humble ourselves and confess the truth of our hearts, you will hear and you will answer and you will wash us clean and you will pour your love into our hearts afresh and meet us there. Oh Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that this is who you are. You don't say change your heart and then come back when you're looking better and we can talk. You you say, tell me all of it. Pour it all out now and I will wash that clean. Thank you. We love you. We love your mercy. We love your grace. And I pray that each of us could experience that more this coming week. But I pray for anyone here who's never, never tasted what Rick was describing, who has been distant from you, who has tried to obey with just their own spiritual discipline or whatever, and whose heart has been empty and bitter. And I, I just pray, Lord, that right now you would give them hope that, that you are standing before them with love in your eyes toward them and that you will take them as they are.
and that you will soften their heart and you will wash them clean and you will forgive them and you will fill them with your life really. Not just religious words you say, but heart reality that they can feel. So please, I pray, do this. And then, Lord, we want to be a church that shines like light in a dark world. We want to be a grumble-free zone wherever we go and a dispute-free zone wherever we go, in our home groups, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, with our friends. Lord, help us to so hold fast to the word of life that we would live that way. And we know that as we do, you'll be glorified in us, which will bring joy to those who've poured into us and which will bring us joy when you return. So do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.